Hello, wonderful people. Welcome to the Jake's Hevel Distinguished Fellowship Podcast, where we amplify the voices of recognized educational leaders in South Africa. I'm your host, Carla Watson, former high school teacher and founder of the Distinguished Fellowship, in partnership with the prestigious Mail and Guardian Young 200 Award. Together, we amplify the voices of recognized educational leaders in South Africa. Welcome to our podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of inviting Tando Kazi Masseti. How are you today, Tando? I'm good, Carla. Thank you. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm well, thanks. I'm really looking forward to our time together today, Tando. And I would like to tell our listeners just a little bit more about you. And I'd like to read the bio that you'd shared um, in preparation for today's episode. Tandokazi is a lecturer and PhD candidate at the Department of Psychology at the University of Johannesburg. She has seven years work experience in higher education, having worked at the Human Sciences Research Council, the Witts School of Human and Community Development and the Witz Family Medicine Department. Tando's research interests draw from feminist and critical psychology theories. She is currently writing on the intersectionality of race, gender, and class on identities, as well as issues on identity development in contemporary South Africa, specifically about the so-called born free generation. Tando Kadi's PhD focuses on issues of transformation in South African universities, with specific interest on black women academics experiences. She is also active in terms of academic citizenship, having reviewed manuscripts for a number of accredited journals on these thematic areas, gender, sexuality and culture, gender-based violence and identity politics. Sure, Tando, what a bio. <laughs> Thank you uh, for your time today. Um, I, there's, I can completely understand and connect why the Young 200 Mail and Guardian list recognized you. But I'm curious, of course, about your experiences of being recognized by this prestigious award. What, what does being recognized by this list mean to you? Thank you so much, Carla, and thanks again for, for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Um, wow, so being recognized in the top 200 young South African was really big, still is quite quite big. And I mean, I, I just recall how it, it just felt surreal. Like it just, it was such an out-of-body experience such that on the night that we were, you know, being awarded, I... I just kept thinking maybe this this is this is like these are just the finalists maybe this is not the real show and my sister kept fighting me and my friend that this is it you got in um it's such a prestigious honor so obviously i mean hence those feelings um it's it, i know it's a big big award i've seen a number of very big and important people receiving this award so it it, it feels like that um but it definitely also just gives recognition to the kind of work that we do um there's not a lot of awards i think that help us bring academic work 
to, to everyday society conversations. Um, so a mail and guardian can be picked up by anyone, um, you know, and read and, you know, anyone can see what is being written there. Um, so it was quite interesting to, to be featured um, in that platform and to have people ask me what it is that I do and read about what I do. So, so I think, so I think it, it's that the work that we do as academics um, definitely impacts people but I don't think we do a great job in making it accessible. So this recognition obviously just helps in, you know, bringing the work closer to the people, in my opinion. I think it does that, you know, at, at some level. Uh, it just also makes people curious about who you are, what it is that you do, and them to ch checking out the work that you do. Because academic work can be intimidating to a person who does not have a vested interest in in academia so so i think so i think it's that and a whole lot of emotions um yeah you know you're, you're spot on about the ability as an academic to be recognized for the work that you mm -hmm. do in education um i think you you've described it exactly as it is that it is often not or rather it's often overlooked and and what the the, the this young 200 list has given you is an opportunity for exposure and an opportunity to validate you know the, the work that you do and and i like how you've put that that that's very cool thank you thanks tando for that thank you Carla. so i'd like to come to your topic today um <laughs> which you've positioned as transformation in higher education a focus on racialized and gendered experiences in academia and just so that, you know, to keep me afloat of this very important, complex topic, um, let's start off with, with how you could describe the importance of higher education in South Africa as a start. And then after that, I'll guide you through more of the transformation aspect. But to begin with, Tando, what is the importance of higher education in South Africa? Mm. Oh, um, so it's a, it's a very big, big question. Um, I'm interested in, you know, like it's, it's it's just a big question, but I'm 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 happy you're asking me this question to, to also just help me think about it. Um so I think at some level, very important, um, it helps drive the economic development of the country, right? So the people that participate in higher education are being upskilled so they may better society. So you have engineers being equipped so they can deal with whatever issues that we're dealing with in society. So mm -hmm. we're empowering graduates um, to, you know, to, to, to have the necessary skills that will respond to these social issues that we sit that we sit with, but also you want um, people who are able to compete with the rest of the world globally to be able to um, to compete to the with the in fact to respond to the new challenges that we face and that we will still face as the world continues to change. Um, I guess also you are. You want you want you want to create more educated people, more, more educated um, people. Prepare them for these social ills um, by by giving them the necessary skills. And I think those are very important. You know, I can go on talking about innovation and the importance of you know us having a certain type of graduate that responds to whatever issues that we sit with with the world. But I think there are other values that higher education can instill, and these are not always seen. We don't we don't. Perhaps we don't put much value in these values. And I mean, I think about respect and mm -hmm. how as a very, very big value, you can 
you can nicely instill that on a person who comes to, 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 to higher education. So we know that we are living in a, in a very difficult world where as, as young as 10 years, a child has already been exposed um, to, to a lot of toxic patriarchal norms, you know, like your standards already are influenced by the people that you are, you, I guess, by, by how you socialize by school, by home. Mm -hmm. um, so when you, when you come to higher education, we have an opportunity to sort of redress um, some of those um, toxic ills. I mean, I don't know how to put it, maybe toxic norms, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think we do have an opportunity to, to, to facilitate the, the unlearning of those toxic patriarchal norms, for example, that are embedded in society, that we learn as, as children, that we learn as we go through schooling, that we learn from our parents, you know? Um, so I do think we do have that responsibility in higher education, and that may make um, higher education to be important in South Africa. Thank you, Tando. I, I hadn't considered it that way in terms of the societal formation from an identity perspective, too, at, at the level of higher education. So I, I appreciate that nuanced view on, on higher education, not just as a place to complete a degree or mm. possibly going to university and what that, of course, impacts on, on family and communities, but rather the, the formation and, and impact on the self. And, and that's, that's my sort of own language in about what you've shared. You then take us through from the topic perspective um, into transformation. Now, the word transformation yes. is a complicated term in a context like South Africa, which I think it we is. can appreciate. Um, <laughs> but I'm more interested in what it means to you from your vantage point as, as an edu a recognized educational leader, um, which is what brings us to this podcast. So what, what does transformation in higher education mean to you? Mm. So, so transformation is, for me, it means just full participation of everybody in academia. So, so it relates to issues of access, me being able to access an institution of higher education will, will mean a lot of things. So first, it means that me being able to go into that university. Um, so me having the necessary marks if that's what I need. So if I need um, you know, to have a certain aggregate to be able to participate in that institution. Um, at another level, it also just means being seen by that institution as, as someone who should be participating in this. Mm -hmm. So having those doors open for me. Um, but also importantly, transformation for me means being able to participate in an institution that previously regarded me as you know, as, as not belonging, but participating fully to, to, to a point where I, I feel that I am at home. I feel that I do belong, um, that I can relate with the values of this institution, that I can relate with the institutional culture, and I do not feel divorced from it. And this is not something that, in my opinion, um, that, that we see. I do acknowledge that there's a lot of work that we are doing um, that is being done through the dialogues that we're having and the, and the kind of important works that, that are being um, 
that's being done in academia, such as um, the policies that are being written that mm. sort of govern how we do academia. So for me, it's that full participation in academia um, where we focus on eradicating these legacies of apartheid um, that, you know, that got translated into higher education because universities do mirror societies. So if we say that South Africa is a transformed equal society where everyone can fully participate in all parts of society, then that should translate into academia. It's not, you know, it's not always happening, you know. So transformation would be Black people being able to participate, women being able to participate, gender non-conforming individuals and not feeling isolated, not feeling excluded, um, but feeling at home, feeling that you belong. And that, for me, should happen at all levels. So it should be, as a student, I should be able to see a lecturer that looks like me. As a student, when I open the textbook and I engage with the curricula, I should be able to see my voice. I should be able to see my story and see myself and my whole community. And yeah, so 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 that's transformation for me. Transformation um, in higher education also relates to access in terms of finances. So if I come into the University of Johannesburg without with a parent that um, works as a cleaner, will I be able to successfully participate? in this institution without feeling excluded from certain activities? Will I be able to afford the textbook that is being prescribed? Will I be able to access the notes if they are online, right? Um, so yeah, and will I be able to pay for my fees? Or am I constantly worrying about whether Nesfus is going to come through for me or not? Am I constantly worrying about whether I have food or, you know, what will I eat tonight? So for me, that's all part of transformation. That's all, um, that's all part of it. And um, it's interesting that when we think about transforming higher education, um, decolonizing higher education, decolonizing um, curricula, psychology curricula, we always think about this big, gigantic thing um, that <laughs> we're not going to be able to do this. It's, you know, we use big words to try and explain what transformation is. Even the language is not accessible to, 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 to ordinary people. And in that way, we, we sort of hurt the whole process of transforming academia um, because it means that um, as if, if I continue to feel that the language is not accessible, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to want to be part of that conversation. If you're not even bringing me in, on the conversation. So, um, yeah, it just calls for us being reflective on, 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 on why we do things the way that you do them. Why do I teach the way that I teach? Why do I use the, the examples that I, that I use as a teacher? Why have I prescribed this textbook? And what does, what does that mean? You know, for everyone, for everybody that is in, 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 in this institution. Okay, Tando. So I want to pick up uh, a couple of things that you've shared, specifically around the concept of belonging. And I really enjoy how you have linked um, and made quite explicit the relationship between belonging and transformation and decolonization and the interrogation of the examples we use, the textbooks. The I mean, mm. from a teaching perspective, you can go down to the layout of the classroom from quite a practical perspective um, and, and interrogating you know, aspects of higher education that is, is far more exclusionary than inclusionary. 
And there was something quite powerful that you'd mentioned, which was around the aspect of worry and, and having a, a, can, a, a student at university be plagued or be hamstrung or held back by so many aspects of needing to worry before they can even consider mm. belonging or even participating, as you nice. describe it, in the space of mm. higher education. And and I, I'm curious to hear your words on, on, on an observation around what is the benefit for young people to feel that sense of belonging at university? I think if I feel that I belong in a space, um, then it means that I'm able to contribute to that space. And I think students and young people and everyone who participates in, in higher education needs to have that. So we, as institutions of higher education, we are giving a service um, and we are not doing a favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oftentimes we make academia to look, in fact, universities to just look like this place where we torture students until they become their best selves and then they leave. <laughs> and in doing that, you know, sleepless nights and um, ensuring that they get the, the best grades and all of that and knowing that this is not your home, this, you know, you're just here to perform and, and, and go and work. And that's, that's, that's not a healthy way of doing education, I think. So if I am constantly reminded that this is not home, if I'm constantly reminded that I I don't belong, then I'm not interested in contributing in any way. My interest then is to get the education and get out. And I think if we do academia in that way, we miss out on a lot. Um, I mean, for me, it's important that I understand the, the person that I'm teaching and I'm able to appreciate what it is that they bring to the classroom, right? And, 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 and teach them and speak to them in a way that empowers them, empowers them enough to go back to their homes, to go back to whatever problems that they may still, um, have to face and, 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 and be confident and empowered enough to try and resolve those issues, right? Otherwise, we're going to end up with people who are not empowered and who do not even care about, about building society because you've been battered so much and being reminded that this is not home um, for six years or five years or however long you are in, academ- in university, um, that you know, you're not even interested in building when you consider a transformation, as you've outlined it uh, quite clearly, in higher education, um, your topic is quite specific around racialized and gendered experiences in academia. Mm. Um, help me understand the, the links, I guess, between the two. Mm. So, so, my, so my interest obviously is largely influenced by my PhD. So the work that I'm reading around um, the work that I have written and reflected on um, in terms of the academic papers that I've, I've, I've written. Um, and so higher education in South Africa is very interesting in that um, so society, in fact, universities become this mirror for society. Um, whatever is happening in South Africa, you will see in higher education. So South, South Africa prior 1994 said, no women allowed, no black people allowed. Um, everyone who's here is heterosexual, um, Christian, white, you know. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of 
people that were excluded. There's a lot of bodies that are excluded. There's a lot of voices that are excluded from, from society and thus from, from academia. And so, um, the first was, I mean, the, not the first, but the most important, I guess, was the racial exclusion. But with that, the gender exclusion has always been happening. Um, women have always been trying to fight um, for their place in the world, have always been fighting to be seen. And Black women then had always been carrying this double, you know, this burden um, where you're fighting for, for to be seen as, as a Black person, but you're also fighting to be seen by the Black man as mm-hmm. a human, you know, mm-hmm. who is woman and and that's a that's another different struggle so my interest is really in 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 how these intersect and how it's important for us to not to not repeat the mistakes that i think we made in south africa where we focused on you know let's get race sorted out let's get um racial equity and then 10 years into democracy we realized that oh um, there are these other people that have been, you know, crying for years and years and years, um, but whose voices have been silenced. So I think it's important for us to, while fighting the struggle against, you know, um, the um, racial equity equality, that to do the same with race, that to do the same with class, we do the same with sexuality. We're able to ensure that we do not repeat what was done on black people um, and do that on gender non-conforming bodies, for example, individuals. Um, so, so, so I guess it comes it comes from that. Um, and specifically, I think um, because I'm a black woman. And I am, it took me a long time to be able to admit that, right? I mean, you know that you're a black woman, you're born into this body, but there's certain experiences that happen as you navigate different spaces, including academia, that make Mm -hmm. you realize that I am black and I am a woman. And at times that role hurts. At times that role becomes a burden because it means that the system sees me in this way or does not see me at all. So I've had that interest because of my personal experience with race, um, my my personal experience with being a, a, a woman, right? And a woman in, in, in corporate, a woman in academia, a woman in society, as a, as a world that just does not value black women. Tando, I, I must share with you that I, I feel quite seen and heard just by your comments uh, previously. And if it's if, if your PhD or the work that you do is anything like what you're describing, I, I'm, I think I'll be your biggest. Oh, thank you. I do have a, a question around this that, you know, might be a little bit left field, but that's, that's how these conversations happen. So you've noted all incredibly important aspects of, of decolonizing higher education and, in your words, transforming it from, from a racial and gendered perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm agreeing with you entirely. Yes. I, I'm curious, what does it look like? You know, I mean, that's that's the, the pull between academia and, I guess, implementation to some degree. Mm. What, what do these spaces, in your mind, what do they look like when we have intervened and deconstructed a number of these barriers? Mm. Oh, so so at a leadership level, um, it looks like having so I mean, I know it's in shallow, but demographics still do matter. Mm, absolutely. Um, shallow because I think in South Africa we did that, uh, you know, we 
we did the whole bring black people in and then we did not care for them. Um, and then now they are being exploited and now they, you know, the experiences are not, are not, are not conducive for them to successfully participate. But I still think it matters. It, it matters that the people that are participating in society are reflected in, in, in decision making in higher education. Um, because then what happens is that if you don't have a person in leadership, who looks like a Tandokaz, then there's a lot of things that you will miss about a student or a potential graduate that is now seated in a village. Because you have a person, you don't have a person thinking about, about a, a villager, someone who's in, in Engelbo, for example. So, so, so at a, at a, at a leadership level could look like that. At a demographic level, it could look like that. Um, but it also just is listening. Listen to the needs of the people that are participating in the space. In my case, it is students. So, and, and, and it's a very big ask, I know, especially to my colleagues. Um, it always seems like, we don't, we don't have the time to sit and listen. We don't have the time because we're always rushing after deadline after deadline. There's exams, I'm marking, you know, and there's such guide, um, guidelines by the university. I have to meet certain targets. But what that will do is 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're going to be sitting with the same problems because we're not sitting and listening to what is needed. So for me, what was interesting is during um, one of my conversations with my current honors students, I someone one of them was asking about a paper I wrote on um, not on, on belonging in higher education, and she could not believe the type of things I was I was reflecting on. And I mean, I don't regard myself very old. Um, you know, I was born in 1990, um, mm-hmm. and. I, my first entrance into university was 2008. So my experiences of academia as a student were drawn from 2008 to 2012. And the kind of things I was reflecting on were such a shock for these students because they were like, that happened? Like, I, 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 can't, I can't see myself not standing up, you know, against such injustice. And at that moment, what that said for me was there's a the student that I'm teaching is changing and is not, is, is not the person I was 15 years ago. And what that calls for is that I need to sit with this student and listen to this student and hear what their needs are because they definitely are different, right? So I don't know if there's a, there's a model that you can create that's going to be suitable for all issues of transformation, you know, for, 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 for this decade and the next. I think we're going to have to be okay with asking these questions. We, we're going to have to be okay with being vulnerable about our own experiences. We're going to have to be okay with opening up, opening ourselves up to, 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 to the conversations, um, to the uncomfortable conversations about race, about gender, about class, about inequalities in society, you know, about our own privileges and how, you know, and how 
those change over time, I guess, um, with whatever that, you know, I mean, I think about how um, as a student, I was definitely definitely different than than I am now. I do have certain privileges now that I did not have at that time. So I need to be honest about those privileges as well, right? So so I don't know if I answer you, but for me, it's 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 that it's 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 and it's gonna be back and forth. We're mm. gonna make mistakes, um, but we're gonna have to be okay with that. Um, and, and, and be transparent and be vulnerable and be okay with starting over. And, you know, instead of saying, this is how things have always been done. If, if academia today is not helpful for the problems of today, then academia needs to be, you know, we need to, we need to rework, right? We need to, to, to go back and overthrow certain things so we can build better. I really like how you are describing the iterative process of social change. And iterative is my word here, Tando. The process of listening to young people's lived experience and have that inform the models to accommodate them and their sense of belonging is crucial to the work that you're doing and the points you are highlighting here. This iterative process, Tando, also reminds me a little bit of the entrepreneurial mindset pushing yourself to be vulnerable, mm. open to feedback and remaining in the space of discomfort and being uncomfortable. And further, sometimes I think we think higher education spaces are quite stale and quite removed from society. But if anything, our conversation today highlights how mm. higher education is integral to society and self-formation. And you know, your experience, your own experience of higher education, which was <laughs> not too long ago, indicates just how important this conversation is. And on this note, Tando, let's be bold. How would you describe your vision for education in South Africa? I guess integration and equality for me still remain very important values that are not fully realized in higher education. And it's sad because there's a lot of policies and a lot of work that's being put in to try and redress these. So I guess until they are fully realized, then my vision will still you know, remain that we realize integration and, and equality. And real transformation, then my vision for education would, would, would be that we, we see real transformation that is reflected in transformed experiences of students, um, but also transformed experiences of, of staff. I think innovation is great. Excellence is great. It's great that we are able to produce people who will meaningfully contribute to the economy and make our livelihood better. Equally so is that we ensure that values such as integration, um, inclusion, equality, become valued, you know. This has been quite an insightful conversation to have with you, Tandokazi. A lot of what you touch on is not necessarily around what has happened in the past, but mm. rather what is happening now and what are we doing about it? How can we serve the future student who is coming into higher education spaces? And what really stood out for me specifically is how you highlighted the experiencing of belonging and of course, alongside this, the absence thereof. Mm. Further, how, how worry steps in and the young student is, is held hostage by this process if the higher education space is not accommodating. 
And to speak to your vision, Tendo, I'm curious how you spend your downtime. How do you relax? How do you <laughs> live simultaneously with carrying this massive and important vision for higher education in South Africa? This brings us to the end of our conversation today, Tando. Do you have any reflections on the experience of the podcast today that you'd like to share? Just that I am I'm grateful to have had this time with you. Um, I think just, you know, reflecting on the work that we are doing. And, you know, when you when you get such questions about what is transformation to you, it helps you to just sit and reflect and again pause and look at how you're doing things. So, I mean, it, I, I've had to go back and think about how I was teaching this semester. Um, I missed, you know, COVID and it's beautiful challenges and scary challenges. So it's it's just been a, a, a good time to just sit and, and, and think. And if anything, I hope that these conversations that just spark that in all of us, you know, to just pause and reflect on why we do the things that we do and why we're doing them the way that we're doing, right? And yeah. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Tanda. I like that. Thank you so much. This brings us to the end of our podcast episode today. I'm your host, Carla Watson, founder of the Jake's Careville Distinguished Fellowship in wonderful partnership with the Mail and Guardian Young 200 Award. Together, amplifying the voices of recognized educational leaders in South Africa. Until our next conversation. <laughs>